Welcome to Mission Revive, a podcast dedicated to hope and healing through God's transforming love. We're your hosts, anchored in truth and armed with faith, are changing the world and reviving hearts with Jesus, one conversation at a time. Hi. Welcome to this episode of the Mission Revive podcast. I'm Bob Newberry, and I'm a board member of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries, a collection of Catholic apostolates impelled by the Holy Spirit. My partner for today's podcast is Ann Costa, founder and executive director of Revive Hope and Healing Ministries. Welcome, Ann. Hi again, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, well, today we have an acquaintance of a friend, a friend of both of ours. Um, she's helped us with a couple of ma- uh, book projects. Yes. One of her many talents. We have Ellen Hercash coming on today. She um, is a award, an award-winning author and publisher at Full Quiver Publishing. And she's a mom and a grandma and she's been active in helping couples, Catholic couples, live out their vocation for um, many, many years with her husband. So I'm glad that she's coming on to explain all the things that she's been involved in. And uh, Ellen, come on and join us, and we'll have a chat. There she is. There she is. I met well, you, first of all, I met you at the Catholic Writers Guild Conference. Right. Uh, many, many years ago. You've been around a while. But, right. Uh, but that's been an, a big part of your life, publishing and, and, and uh, writing, right? You bet. Okay. You bet. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, about the writing part of, of my life? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, I started writing when my kids were all small. I have five adult sons, and when they were newborn to 11 or 12, um, I had an experience in front of the Blessed Sacrament in adoration, uh, and I felt called to share my true story uh, of myself and my great-grandmother, and um, so I wrote my first book, Not an Easy Project, with small kids. Uh, I had no experience in writing fiction, but, um, and it took a few years, but that was my first book. And then I got the writing bug and wanted to write books that were not based on a true story. So I just made up characters and whatever, mostly to promote the message that every human being is unique and irreplaceable. And so that goes, flows through all of my books and all of the books that we published through Full Quiver Publishing. And uh, we did so well in the early 2000 teens that we started taking um, other authors on and publishing their works too. I think we're up to 45 um, books that are now published by Full Quiver Publishing. And I think we have about 23 authors. Okay. I know personally uh, that you, you also help uh, authors who were not published through Full Quiver, right? Correct. And, I, and, and I'm one of them. And Correct. I, uh, and I, I, I so treasure the, the time um, 
working with you and you use the word we, you're referring to whom? Oh, my husband. Yeah, James, you know. James, yes, and, he's uh, not here at the moment, but uh, yeah, he's my, my better half. <laughs> yeah, well, and he would say that you're his better half. I know how- Oh, probably. I know how you guys work, you know, but, uh, um, but you were also involved with the Catholic Writers Guild, but in a, a position of great responsibility too. Right? Correct. I was I was vice president uh, in the early 2010s, and then I was president from 2013 to 2016, something like that. Um, maybe 2015. I'm, it's it's all kind of a blur now. Okay. Um, but I've been a member since 2008. Um, I'm one of the first 50 members anyway, and um, it's just been a joy to be part of the Catholic Writers Guild. And I'm, you know, I'm very disappointed that I'm not going to be able to come down maybe next year uh, because I miss all my friends in the guild. Yeah, yeah, we well, have a we have a conference every year of Catholic writers um, that that come together around the around and you're not in our country you're in Canada right Canada, so correct. that usually takes place here in the United States um, can you tell us why it was important to have the Catholic Writers Guild what what does it do what is it for why why well the initial group believed that we needed to have an organization that assisted other Catholic writers because we didn't, some of us didn't feel comfortable in the Christian writing um, world. And uh, so we got together and, you know, from 50 or 30 to 50 members, it's grown to, I think it's over 400. Wow. And I've been a member since 2008. And, um, and here it is 2022, so 14 years. And I, I was to every conference that they ever gave up until 2019 when my grandson was born and I had to miss that one. And then of course there was COVID. So I had to miss that one. So I was really hoping that I would be able to make it this year, but unfortunately I'm, I'm not, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great organization. Any, any Catholic writers out there, whether you write nonfiction or whether you write articles or whether you write fiction, um, and even if you have never written a novel, but want to someday, you're still welcome in the in the guild. Yeah, I know that a couple of my books um, got published because I got to go and sit face to face with a traditional publisher. And you get to pitch, you get what, like, what, six minutes or something? It's something like that, yes. To, to tell them why they should, what your book is about, why they should publish it, what makes it different, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then, and then you, if you're lucky and they like it, and and, and uh, they'll call you and, and offer you a contract, which happened to be twice through the Guild. So, right. um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful networking opportunity. Plus... The thing that I like about, it, I mean, you, there is awards, you do actual, there's actual ways in which we, we, you, you give like um, certification, right? To a certain. Well, uh, it's seal of approval. We have the seal of approval, which basically if you su submit your book for the seal of approval, um, it is evaluated by uh, three to five evaluators who evaluate the content, the quality and the Catholic friendliness nest of the mm -hmm. of the book and um a lot of a lot of self-published authors use the soa just to 
um, give their uh, books a, a bit of a boost. Can I, uh, can, uh, I, we could spend the next few hours talking about uh, writing and publishing and so forth, but, but that's only a small part of you, isn't it, Ellen? And I, I, I listen, based on my knowledge of you, I'm going to go down through a, a kind of a, 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 a list and um, uh, you can nod yes. And uh, if, if you nod yes, give us a, give us a little bit of, about that. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, marriage preparation. Yes, uh, we've, uh, my husband and I have been working in marriage preparation since 1984. We just love helping to form engaged couples to prepare for marriage. Uh, is that through your parish or? Uh... It's through the diocese, but we've also appeared via Zoom through other dioceses throughout Canada and uh, the States. You, I'm American, so I have a lot of contacts in the States. Do you uh, uh, use an established curriculum or? Uh, do yes, you, you do. We do use you... the God's Plan for Joy-Filled Marriage, which is out of Ascension Press. Um, and it's just a beautiful marriage prep program. Okay. It's all inclusive. It, it covers everything. Okay, so I did some quick math. That's almost 40 years, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> we, we've used different programs through all those years, but the last 10 to 12 has been using um, a theology of the body based curriculum. Okay, okay, which leads me to my next uh, bullet point here. Um, theology of the body. Uh, you've done some. Uh, uh, I did you I think I saw a yes nod there. Yes. Uh, okay, can you expand on that? Yes, we. Um, well, again, since we've just been married, we um, have been doing talks to grade nine and up, sometimes grade seven and eight. And we talk about the value of the human person, um, theology of the body, which is which talks about the irreplaceability and the um, value of each and every human person uh, who is conceived. And um, and it's a very pro-life talk as well, which as as we have done these talks um, and in the last maybe five or six years, the young people are becoming more and more vocally pro-abortion so that when we present them with um, a small kind of rubber um, representation of a baby at 12 weeks from conception, uh, we've had people, we've had young people say that isn't, that isn't a baby at, at 12 weeks. That's just, it should be just a blob of cells. That's not a blob of cells. And it's like, that's correct. It's not a blob of cells. It is a fully formed baby that just needs to grow. So are, it's, are it's you, been interesting. Are you doing that in uh, Catholic schools or public yes. schools? Or just Catholic. Like, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, natural family planning. Yes, we've been teaching NFP uh, probably since 1983-84. Uh, we had to be trained uh, to teach it, and it basically teaches uh, couples how to avoid and plan pregnancy using a natural method. So it's a, it's a method whereby the couple abstain in the fertile time if they're avoiding pregnancy or they 
try to, you know, not abstain in their fertile time if they're uh, planning pregnancy. Okay. All right. Um, your, your own family. Five adult sons, homeschooled for 18 years. Um, golly, it, it's, I was one of those mothers who I, I wasn't so worried about how tidy my house was and it wasn't filthy but it was very cluttered um i played with my kids now mind you at certain stages i was the same size as my kids so it was it kind of made sense but um i enjoyed getting down on the ground and playing with my kids and um and i do that with our grandchildren too um and it's funny because uh, a few weeks ago, I was with my grandson and he's almost three and he has this small little ball pit and it's, it's big enough for probably somebody my size, but I mean, it's for a little kid. And he asked my husband, Papa, can you come into the ball pit with me? And my husband's a regular size five, seven man. And um, my husband says, no, I don't think I can fit. And then he looks at me and he says, you little Grammy, you can fit in my budget. <laughs> so, so it's it's fun playing with kids, and and I was given the utmost compliment, I think, uh, when my youngest son was just a baby, um, a woman that I hadn't met. Uh, we met like six months later, and she said to me, "I remember thinking, seeing you at the park with your five kids, and thinking to myself that." young mother there i wasn't that young but that mother there really enjoys being a mom and to me it was a real compliment because i did i mean there were hard moments don't get me wrong it's hard work but have fun too i i mean your kids are only small for a short time and yes. it's just so wonderful to be able to interact with them and have fun with them yeah i um are you in, enjoying being a being a mom and a parent now? Oh, I do. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because you can you can have all these interesting conversations with your adult kids. Yes. And we have always made it known to them that they can talk about anything to us. Now we have one or two of our kids that tell us basically everything, even as adults. Um, and I know that you know when they were growing up you know we encouraged them to say whatever they wanted to us and never right. feel like they couldn't tell us anything so that's what we encourage and we did encourage our kids to do that and all of our kids have come to us at moments that were very low for them or difficult for them and they felt that they were able to talk to us thankfully we're not yes. perfect Yes, no yes. married couple is perfect. Yes. But we're trying our best to be the best parents we can be. How about your marriage? Talk about your marriage. 40 years, just, just um, celebrated our 40th. Um, both my husband and I had COVID and we spent the day lying on the couch watching Columbo. Um, <laughs> and the TV, the, the TV was hooked up to our... Um, generator because we had lost power uh, from a big storm so yeah. we couldn't make anything to eat but we could at least watch tv and some of our adult kids and their um, wives came and helped us out and barbecued for us and whatever Very but cool. it doesn't you know that's fine 
Very cool. How about, um, can you talk a little bit about your faith? Um, how important it is to you, how you practice it? Uh, uh, how did you come to develop the, uh, and have the faith that you have? Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, I'll try to keep it brief, but brief brevity has never been my strong point. Um, I was brought up in a Catholic family. Um, I went to Catholic school up until seventh grade. Um, my parents stopped going to church, I think after Humanae Vitae. I, I heard from my, you know, I had conversations with my mother um, because they felt that they couldn't, they were contracepting, so they didn't feel they could go to church. And I said, you know, you could have gone to church and just not gone up to communion and gotten a blessing, you know, and, and I guess at the time they didn't realize it, but, and there's a whole other story behind why they were using contraception and all that stuff, which is actually in my book, my new book. Um, but my faith was very strong to me until I stopped going to Catholic school. Now my parents sent me to church every Sunday. Um, my older brother would walk around the the corner a couple of times just to to say that he had been out and but I always went I never stopped going to church um but I started being formed more um by society and television so by the time that I met my husband who was not my husband at the time um he was a faithful catholic um and of course god knew how to bring me back to him uh, because I fell in love with my husband and he brought me back to the faith. And I had never, you know, had gone so far away, but I was pro-choice. I remember thinking I would never have an abortion, but it's not up to me to tell somebody else, you know, the whole politically correct way of being. And um, so it was through my husband because we, our first argument as an engaged couple was whether we were going to use contraception or not. And he was so firmly against using it. And, um, and I just thought there's got to be something wrong with him. And yet <laughs> there wasn't anything wrong with him. There's something wrong with me more so. And I am so thankful that that is how God brought me back to him. Uh, because uh, since then, and it took a year or two to really fully embrace all the teachings of the church, but once I did that, I started becoming the biggest commercial for Catholicism, for theology, the body, for NFP, for um, any of those things. Um, I mean, I was on a, I was on a train to uh, Toronto one time to go to a book fest, and um, I sat at the front of the train in these two, two facing, you know, there were two seats, four seats altogether facing each other. And I sat in one and all the people coming on didn't want to sit with me. And at the end, three women got on a medical student, a, um, a law student and another girl who was a university student. And we got into some very interesting conversation about abortion, about waiting until marriage to have sex, about all kinds of wonderful things. And I mean, the four and a half hours just flew. And they said they had never met anybody quite like, <laughs> quite like me. Um, and it, it's interesting, the way it started was somebody 
one of the girls said, oh, where are, where are you going and who are you visiting? And I said, oh, well, I'm a Catholic author and I'm going to a Catholic book fest. Um, oh, you're a Catholic author. What did you write? And then it kind of went from there. So it's pretty, pretty cool. And I figure I'm going to have to stand in front of God one day and say, I did everything I could to evangelize those around me. And um, I never tried to miss an opportunity, whether it's the young mothers at the McDonald's play place or, uh, or on a train or on a plane or wherever. I love talking to people about the Catholic faith. Well, help me understand them. And you want me to keep going or do you, is that okay? Sure. okay. I have one question, but you go. Well, um, your most recent book, Where Angels Pass. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, uh, that's a fictionalized version mm -hmm. of a real life story. Correct. Um, and uh, would you be willing to talk about the real life story part of it? Of course. Absolutely. Um, so at the end of the real life story explanation, my question is going to be, in light of that real life story, uh, how, how has that an, impacted your faith? Ready? Well, um, tell us about the real life story first. Okay, so the real life story is that my father was abused by um, his freshman year in high school teacher. Right. Um, who was a priest. Yes, correct. And um, he never told anybody except for my mother. Um, and he kept it bottled inside. And he eventually, um, he kind of fell away from his faith when he joined the Marines. Um, and then he joined the army. <laughs> um, because, you know, there are girls in every ports and that sort of thing. But when he came home, he knew he wanted to settle down and, and practice his faith and come back to his faith. And, um, and he met my mother and, and so she knew about it, but she didn't, I guess, um, she didn't realize how much of a, an impact it had on my father's life. My father was small, like myself. I got my, my short stature from him. My mother's actually tall, which is strange. My mom was five, six, five, seven. Um, and she would always, we'd be doing dishes at the sink and she'd always say, are you standing in a hole? <laughs> um, she always yeah. kidded me about that. Yeah. But um, she's a very strong woman. When I was two, my father, his father passed away and he was very close with his father. He never told his father about the abuse, but he was very close with his father. And, and that, you know, combined with the difficulties and the, um, the stuff that he went through as a kid and, and stuff at work, that whole work chapter that is in there was written from my father's notes on that. He, he kept notes. So a lot of the stuff is actually based on, on the truth and any time that Evie, who's my character, and Hank, the father, um, interact, a lot of those conversations actually took place. Uh, so um, 
but yeah, when, when I was two and when my mother was pregnant with my youngest brother, um, my dad had a psychotic break and he didn't know where he was. He didn't recognize his kids. He didn't recognize, he recognized his mother. He recognized my, my aunt and my uncle, but he didn't recognize the kids. And, and actually throughout his entire stay at the psychiatric hospital, um, he, he didn't even remember he had kids until about four or five months into his treatment. And um, I know that when I, I actually remember, I have a very good memory. I was only two, but I remember feeling safe that I was, you know, in my father's lap. And, you know, even though he didn't realize who I was, I still felt safe, you know. Eventually that led to, uh, he got out, nobody would offer him a job. So he had to get, you know, the lowest paying things because nobody was very pro mental health back then. They, you had a nervous breakdown. We don't want to hire you. Right. Uh, he finally did get a job with the post office. Praise be to God. Um, but, you know, that job came with a lot of, a lot of stresses and he eventually um, started drinking to excess and became an alcoholic. And, and then he died very suddenly. Um, and we didn't find out until after that he had been, I didn't find out from my mom until well after my father died. And my first thought was, and I was a faithful Catholic at the time, because it was after I was married. And my first thought was, I hope that priest is burning in hell. And I know that it's a natural <laughs> inclination to think that, but when I talked to my spiritual director, he said, your anger is justified, but we are all called to forgive. And you can only start healing once you have forgiven this priest um, for what he did to your father. And so it was not overnight, but I did things like I started fasting for this priest uh, because he was he was deceased by this point. That is not true. In the book, I have Evie confronting the priest. That was made up. That's what I would have said to the, to the priest had I had the opportunity, but he was already gone by the time um, I found out. And, um, and basically, I just worked through forgiving him. Now, other members of our family do not want to forgive um, our father's abuser. Um, you know, mainly because they said he basically ruined our father's life. And that is probably partly true. He did. Um, my father was a very sensitive um, young man. And he reminds me very much. One of my sons reminds me very much of my dad in that way. And I can just picture that son being abused and not being able to tell anybody and holding it in. And I... I I can't even, I don't want to imagine it. And so, you know, for me to be able to move on and heal, I knew I had to forgive him. And, you know, I do forgive him. That doesn't mean that I, I don't want God's justice. That doesn't mean that I like what he did. Um, it doesn't mean any of those things. Um, 
it means I've forgiven him and there's peace in my soul to the point where I can watch something on the television about the abuse scandal and not tense, right? I mean, I used to really tense because it, as a relative, a close relative of an abuse victim, um, we are in many respects victims as well. Um, We had to suffer all the consequences of a father who had a nervous breakdown and who was an alcoholic. And and that many times I had to be the parent to my father um, because he was in a drunken stupor. And thankfully, you know, thank God for small favors. My father wasn't a violent drunk. He was a happy drunk. Um, And so that's, you know, um, at least he was, he was never violent. Um, And he was absolutely a wonderful father. He wasn't perfect by any means. uh, But when I started writing the book, 15 years ago, I couldn't write it because it was still raw. You know, it had been 20 some years, but it was still raw. And I only started writing it after the McCarrick scandal um, because I really felt that the world needed to know that not all abuse victims like my father and myself leave the Catholic Church because the church, I'm not going to leave the true presence of Christ the sacred heart of Jesus, the immaculate heart of Mary, and, you know, the Eucharist and the true teachings of the the Catholic faith, because, you know, there are many priests who are uh, abusing boys and and others who are allowing it. Yes, that's wrong, and it's horrible, and it needs to change, but that's not the church. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I'll have to I have to tell you that as I, uh, I don't I don't typically fly through books, um, but I'll tell you I as I'm as I'm going through where angels pass, uh, my goal was to be have it completed by the time we talk today. Can't do it. It's a hard book to read. And oh, I, for I, sure. I, I I am so taken by how you uh, slowly. Uh, engaged me the reader in in um becoming familiar with these characters and and uh it's it's just masterful and but it's uh it's and so i i'm thinking that you know i i to my knowledge i don't know anybody personally that was has was victimized has been victimized is a family member of somebody who's been victimized i don't to my knowledge, I, I don't know people that, that fit that category, but uh, your book is invaluable in um, educating people like me about the, the horrific tragedy of, uh, of what has taken place, you know? Well, I'm amazed after I wrote the book, how many people came up to me just locally, right? right. Um, and I've gotten emails as well, but how many people came up to tell me, thank you. I was also abused by a priest. And, you know, I say, I am so sorry that you had to go through that. And um, what really touched my heart was that 
many of these people have said you really captured the angst and the anxiety and the grief of the victim well um and i i was never a first class abuse victim just by through my father in terms of that he was abused but um you know it's really important that our world our catholic church understand our priests i mean you know they need to understand that this is not an issue that will be um, allowed anymore. And I know it's still out there and I know it still exists, but um, I'm praying, you know, I pray every day for victims of um, clergy abuse and sexual abuse of any kind. I pray for our church. I pray for bishops to be faithful. Um, and uh, I know it's going to change. And we just needed the light to be turned on so we can see all the bugs going around. I know that that's what they say when you turn the light on, then you see them all. And I'm glad that the light has been turned on. But after, you know, in 2018, after that summer, I really felt tormented, like, okay, I need to write this book. And so I actually waited two years to do it. Um, and I only actually started last summer, the beginning of last summer. And in three weeks, I actually had the book the first draft of the book written. I've never written a book that fast. Oh, right. Yeah. It was so. time. It was definitely time. It was time for you to have that out there. What's the name of the book again, Alan? Where Angels Pass. And how can people get a copy of that? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's available through Kindle. Um, okay. You know, it, it's, it's, just type in Where Angels Pass, Ellen Gable, and it'll bring you to several websites if you want to purchase it. Great, the, Ellen Gable, okay. The, the title is eerie to me because the, the name of the school of the main character uh, right. in the book is uh, something angels, uh, can you help me? Holy uh, Archangels High, yes. <clears throat> That's not the real name of the school. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want to say the real name yes, of the school. Yes. But it, it's still it's still eerie. Yeah. 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 And in many respects, my husband said to me, you in many respects were also an angel, an assistant to your your father. Um in life and even in death. Um out of the the four kids, um I could never say no to my dad. I mean, except if he was asking me to get him a beer, then I yeah. I could say no to him then. But um, when he was on the wagon, um, he liked to talk. And so I would sit on the edge of his bed and we'd just talk about all kinds of things. And I remember those conversations and I I really treasure them because, what a treasure. Yes. you know, um, yeah. I can't go back there, but. I can't remember them um, in my heart. Um, he really struggled. He really struggled to be a good Catholic. He really struggled to be a good father and a good husband. Was he always good in those areas? Sometimes he lapsed, but we're all human. And, um, you know, it's uh, our end goal is heaven. And I know that what really hurt me 
was after somebody read my first book, and I didn't go into all the details when the father dies in my first book, but um, somebody wrote me an email and said, um, you can't be thinking your father is in heaven. He was in a state of mortal sin. He's going to hell. Now, I have always believed in God's mercy. And I say the Divine Mercy Chaplet every single day for those who are dying, who have died. And I truly believe, I don't know if this is Catholic teaching, but I truly believe at that moment of death, you get to choose life and good or choose evil. And I think even some people who have had a very not good life and made a lot of bad choices can still choose good. And so my father was buried with a Catholic ceremony, um, you know, a Catholic funeral mass. So it wasn't like they wouldn't marry him and all, you know, so. Um, and I think people have to remember, we need to be merciful in our own lives, merciful to others, um, you know, and the forgiveness thing, people have said, you're better than I am. No, you know, we all are human being with concupiscence like we have this tendency to sin right yeah. and so we need the grace of god we need the grace of the sacraments we need the eucharist we need pr a prayer life we need to read scripture we need all of those things and without them we don't have the graces we just have to ask for the graces and keep our souls open to the graces uh and we can all do it we can all forgive in the most you know, we for, can forgive the most horrible, horrible things. Yes, by God's grace, we can't do it. Amen. On our own. Yeah. Amen. Right. Right. And no one knows the state of anybody else's soul. So for anybody Absolutely. to be able to say that, they really can't say that. We're not, that is Catholic teaching. We're not allowed to make those kind of judgments on the, on somebody. Absolutely. Wall. So um, that, you know, and my goodness, what, we don't have any clue. I mean, you didn't know what your burdens your father was carrying, right? Until afterwards, right? Right. right. Yeah. So, wow, that must have been something. And Bob's question was, how did that affect your faith? Did it, did it affect your faith at any level when you found that out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, in the beginning, you know, when, because in the book, I tell about my, my, um, my brother's friend was approached by the priest of our that parish down where we lived in New Jersey. And he punched the priest in the face and, and gave the priest a black eye. And I remember thinking, well, you know, those those priests who are who do that are few and far between. And then of course 2001 came and the the 2002 and the, the Boston Globe story just you know, lit up about the, the pre-sex abuse and then, you know, 2018. And, you know, it did affect my faith in the sense that I was so disappointed in people who were, who maybe suspected something was going on and rather than do anything, swept it under the rug or moved the priest or whatever, in my father's case, uh, that particular teacher was known by the upperclassmen to prey on young boys. And my question to my, my mother was talking to her brother who was 
two years older than my my father. And why tell the kids? Why didn't you warn them? You know, and I guess back then nobody said anything. That they knew, true. but they just, which, you know. If anything has come of, of this is that we won't be there again in a place where we won't say anything because the shame or the the cover is blown for that you know hopefully i mean that's what we're praying for we want the lid of light and light the darkness to be brought into the light amen because it was it was a conspiracy of silence all the way around that's right it's just something it was just was talking about to somebody about it was just the culture we all knew the ones that were doing stuff that were kind of funny that we didn't like who we were around everybody just kind of knew it but nobody said anything right right yeah very sad but on a positive note hopefully things will begin to change and i i can see that things are already changing um you know there's i don't think there's as many people that will be silent right Um, and i know my kids and we always had conversations from the time they were very young um you know if anything happens to you if if anybody touches you in an inappropriate way don't listen to them it doesn't matter what they say you tell us kind of thing um and back in the 30s 40s and 50s i don't think parents um you know and i'm not criticizing parents there are many great parents and my grandparents were good parents but they wouldn't have believed it. You know, my, my grandfather may have, I know my grandmother wouldn't have, my grandmother was the disciplinarian in that family. Um, and, uh, my father and she would, they would, uh, laugh about, you know, when he was being tied to a chair after he stole from a, he, uh, shoplifted some candy and he was tied to the chair and, and beaten with an egg beater and he was 10 or 12 or whatever he was. And, mm-hmm. and I would be like wide eyed, like, what <laughs> you know yeah, um, yeah. different time yeah different time yeah well th- alan thank you so much you know and you have not disappointed and i uh i would uh i would say you've even grown a couple inches you know thank uh, you i appreciate but, that uh, <laughs> yeah yeah would would you be willing to come back uh, at some point in the future and, and talk oh, about any new projects you're involved with or and, and James can be with me next time as well. Um, he's he's funnier than I am. He uh, um, he was a teacher in, at the high school for 26 years, so he's he's really well spoken and, and he's funny and he's probably more entertaining than I am. Well, and <laughs> I, I I find that hard to believe, but he is pretty unique character. Yes, he is. Yeah, and anything? Uh, uh, no, I know it's the clock been... is ticking here. It's been wonderful to just hear about your life experience and and just hear the conviction in your voice when you said that you know whatever happened I'm not leaving the church I'm my faith you know why would you why would you let one person do uh, you know take you away from the grace and the beauty uh, that is our, our beautiful faith so yeah. and your books are always so so beautiful in terms of helping people to understand their own beauty and um through the eyes and the lens of our our faith so thank you so much for that and people should just look up her books is it alan gable right 
Right. And I mean, okay. you can just go into amazon.com and so many books you've written. Ellen Gable and it'll, it'll come up to the, I've, I've now written 12 books and um, trying That's to write awesome. a 16th, but I'm, you know, it's uh, like, I just got, you know, you have to get started and then it, it comes, but, but I'm enjoying the grandkids and we've had two weddings this year. Well, we have a wedding coming up and we had a wedding in, in April. So we'll have three married married sons and um it's just so fun how the how the uh the family just uh grows and grows and and um we are enjoying this time in our lives and and um really enjoying the grandkids yeah it's the crown of thrilling. glory it's amen thrilling. thank you so much ellen oh thank you we'll, thank talk, you. you we'll talk to you again care. you bet bye-bye We are grateful that you joined us today for another episode of the Mission Revive podcast. We humbly ask for your prayers as we continue in the mission entrusted to us to evangelize and revive hearts with Jesus. We would also ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor of this podcast or making a financial contribution to support this growing ministry. You can do this by visiting our website at revivehopeandhealing.com or through our Revive Hope and Healing Ministries patron page. We cannot do this without you. Thank you.